0: Chant the reflections on universal world. Yeah.
1: So'll uh, begin this evening with uh, some suggestions uh, on conscious recollection, this particular practice. And this is where we use the faculties of I've mentioned them, Vitaka, picking up a topic, an object, a concept, thinking mind, naming something plucking something out of the vast you know realities or possible realities that we can attend to picking one particular thing and then vichara the ability to take that concept and turn it into a percept which means we get a felt impression from it, take it an idea in your mind concept, simple thing and you place it into your heart and you get a You handle it, you get a feeling, a felt meaning comes out of it. Actually, it's probably a lot simpler than I've explained it. (laughs) Because we do it all the time. You say, oh, Uncle George, and you go, Uncle George, and oh. And you get this little guy with a moustache and a friendly smile. Concept, percept. Along with that percept of Uncle George comes whatever mood or feeling comes up with it if you've got an Uncle George, that is. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Vitaka Vichara. <laughs> and once it's there, you can kind of contemplate this mood of Uncle George and how you feel about it and make, you know, distill all kinds of pleasant, hopefully, or unpleasant, but uh, moods out of it. But in this particular exercise, we're looking for that which uh, is supportive uh, for uh, reflection mm. yeah, for, for encouraging, strengthening the, the heart mm. and uh, so one particular theme that I like to cultivate is one of recollection of gratitude mm. gratitude is a lovely quality Buddha said That's it's uh, one who experiences uh, uh, gratitude this is uh, a very fine uh, quality indeed sometimes rather rare because we can generally think of all the things that didn't go right and kind of skip over the things that did so conscious recollections of Gratitude, and we might just begin with, uh, uh, you know, today. Or perhaps, perhaps, no, perhaps we perhaps might begin with something longer term. Just recollecting, bringing to mind our own birth, just that recollection: we've been born, incarnated, uh, come into a form. Helpless, blind, naked, powerless, incapable of nourishing ourselves, supporting ourselves, doing anything for ourselves. And several people helped to get us born. And several people, at least one, was a major act of nourishing us, feeding us, Bringing us up, looking after us, protecting us—so a mother, or a father, or both. I just bring this to mind. It's like—it's true, isn't it? Whatever else there was about that, you pick up that particular point whether they were moody, irritable, or whatever. You pick up that particular piece, and oh, you know, it didn't have to do that actually. You know, so you, you recollect that. We recollect our mother, our father, or anyone else a major caregiver. You bring it the concept to mind. Take it into the heart. Let it sit there. helping us to recollect how our lives are so interwoven with others a sense of mutual dependency we have been supported, born nurtured, molded educated, fed so forth by others whatever harm others have done us still you know we've had the major gift of this, we have this everything else is kind of secondary to that actually we recollect when we consider our parents we recollect the work the sacrifice, the efforts the sleeplessness the sleepless nights they gave for our well-being as we recollect gratitude we might turning it over Consider maybe someone who does not neglect that, does not forget that. sometimes it helps if you can remember any specific incidents from those primary caregivers specific memory of that something that is very personal you bear that in mind may I be also be someone who can manifest the same kind can pass on that lineage that transmission of care self-sacrifice compassion generosity towards others we've been been given something maybe pass that on maybe improve it so if they weren't absolutely perfect we can still think well let me do better then rather than continually find fault with them you know learn from the mistakes they made and think how can i do better how can i improve upon that transmission which is so important Secondly, another class of is our spiritual teachers. Spiritual teachers may be of various kinds. Hmm, what we mean by spiritual someone who's demonstrated, something wasn't relative, not necessarily a relative, but someone who pointed to a truth or reality or values beyond just material existence survival livelihood still recollect my my first spiritual teachers are physics, taught physics at school my junior school one day he came into the physics class and he said boys forget physics, I'm going to teach you pranayama (laughs) he obviously had enough teaching kids physics who didn't want to learn it (laughs) so that'll teach you something it's a little bit completely off the curriculum so he did 15 minutes of pranayama. <laughs> What's this? I don't know. you do it? Oh wow, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, he didn't have to do it. But just felt he wanted to do something quality for these people's beings' lives. Not just for their education or their career but something deeper. And then we might find our first meditation teacher or a person who some way taught us or modelled or demonstrated a you know, way to Dhamma to you might say deepening deepening our lives very precious it's easy too easy for people to skim across the surface of life someone had taught us to dip beneath the surface to dwell there and showed in some way that it was furthering, beautiful and nourishing very precious person, very precious instances so bring those to mind, bring them to mind frequently we have a debt debt is an unfortunate word we have a, we've been given a gift let's use it wisely and let's squander it If they had faults and shortcomings, let me do better. Let me carry that gift to make it a little better, pass that on to others. and bring it to something more immediate, recollect to the retreat centre here, and the people, the infrastructure, keeping the thing working, serving volunteers, doing it because they feel something, they want to offer service, generosity for our welfare. All the untidy bits and pieces of logistics and cleaning and maintenance and bills and finances and screws and cabbages and washing up and drains <laughs> without which life would be pretty wretched here, we'd all be busy running round and yet we can find this place clean, open, friendly. Yeah. Uh, what do we think about ourselves all the time a sense of how enriching it is for me to be amazed at the beauty of the Dhamma that I live in not just as an idea but as real people serving, working just because, out of love people who don't know doing it because they love that which is good in humans, and they want to help bring it forth. When I recollect that, may I also pick up that, the honor of that service. May I make something better out of it, or try to at least join in with it. There's people in the present and in the past who established this center from an act of faith not really knowing how to do it just plugging away getting it going keeping it going there's a whole lineage isn't there really of thousands of years of all of this so big we couldn't really Recollected all, vast wave of it. And I have the fortune to be able to receive some of that. Many parts of the world, you couldn't wouldn't be available. I think it's something even more specific just today or the last day or two perhaps even just today has there been one act of kindness, courtesy shown to you today even a friendly glance or some act of kindness or courtesy showing of recognition of your existence and of trying to make it easier for you make you feel befriended welcome shared there's something you can pick up today recollect today it didn't have to happen it wasn't guaranteed and it was just freely given try to do this every day something it encourages us because when we do that we recognize may I also just do tomorrow the one seemingly small and significant thing yeah. the act of courtesy the act of sharing the act of offering the act of whatever, companionship. May I do that also. Be part of that whole flow, which is Dhamma as a living reality, as a humanized experience. It ennobles me, it strengthens me, it enriches me, and it enriches the whole field. This entire Dhamma field has been made freely available through thousands of people, offering, giving, serving, relinquishing for each other's welfare. Passing something on, passing it on. Now, today, this moment, I can pick that up, I can taste it. What a precious opportunity. One's life is blessed. May I also be part of that. So now the third evening of the retreat, something magical about the the third evening, the third day. People who teach 10 retreats always say, it's the third, the third day. You know, there's a there's a there's a change because you've, by the third day, you've actually started to get into the the depth of the process first day just kind of a lot of people just really groggy you know punched out coming in didn't hear the first talk zonked out didn't hear the second talk zonked out (laughs) somewhere in the second evening somebody's out there saying something (laughs) and then oh (laughs) suddenly third morning oh here I am you know and here this is stuff's you know process, you've got, into your, you've got into it you've got, you've got into it uh,
0: uh,
1: and you know what it is <laughs> and there's this time now we have uh, the wave has arisen you know, you, you, the, the, the tide was coming in, now the wave of the retreat has risen up You have about four days or so with us and it begins to move towards conclusion moving out you know, is just an inevitable process so a lot of this uh, one of the main themes of this uh, time is the sense of perseverance we've initiated put down some themes picked up some ideas getting ourselves into shape persevere Continue. Yeah. More practice is necessary, as they always say, as always say. <laughs> so, this evening, just to talk a little bit more about uh, food for the way, strengthening, enriching for the way. Every pilgrim needs their supplies. Yeah. means to get your resources together you need to spend time feeling to those resources picking them up so one, one of those that we just touched on is this act of recollection just recollecting our inheritance our dharma inheritance and you feel, oh yeah there's a lot of suffering around there's also this beauty, this virtue this dharma is also around you know, don't forget that You bring the two together so recollecting our resources recollection is one way of keeping in touch so that you are in some ways you're, lead, you're leading the process you know your process with its aspirations and struggles and inheritances and whatever and then you know you're saying well actually remember this remember also when there's a leading this process which is recollecting the Dhamma Rec- deliberately recollecting the themes of the Dhamma so that it brings the heart into a good aspect into a good way of seeing things now as we were saying this morning and I've been saying Couple of days, meeting things with awareness, meeting what arises with awareness, yeah. or playing attention, meeting what arises, softening, widening. This is the, the process, and just recognizing that, yeah, you know, like we we can perhaps. Do I get the idea of that? Even touch into it, but a lot of the time, we need the strength or the resources to be able to do that. To pay attention without falling asleep. To pay attention without getting distracted. To pay attention to the to the to the appropriate thing rather than skidding off into details, proliferating, entangling, adding more more entanglements to the mix. This particular quality of paying attention, which also brings in this sense of evaka, the ability to step back, get the get the deep picture, like the aerial ph- photographer who by lifting off the ground actually sees the deep structures in the ground rather than is just lost in the grass and the gorse. And they lift up. They say, oh that's that's the main thing. And that takes something, doesn't it? Just to not be totally in the story. Because the story is not just a verbal story, it's also an emotional story with its tremendous pulls and currents and desperation and fear and overwhelm, which I've heard, you know, sensed for some people almost at the edge of, can I manage? You know, there's so much. sense of overwhelm what does it take to just you know rather than the all these things I have to try and sort out just to come back to lift up and say well the first thing to refer to is overwhelm yeah. leave all the details in the box let's just get to the definition of the fundamental first piece is the overall picture, stressed deeply stressed, uncertain overwhelmed mm. So this is the vitaka, and then pointing, viveka, lifting. So you pay attention in a skillful way. And this is what is arising. You meet what arises, but it's not everything. It's the first thing. So this is the skill of the process. Because, of course, what's arising could be worries about my family, my daughter, my job, my health, uh, concerns about this and that and the other it could be a whole load of things so much that you can't manage it So how do you meet it? you first of all have to meet at a piece at a time and the process is one where you you get back to what's the overall what's the one word that summarises that it could be just don't know if I can manage this too much you know tired you know, or Something of this nature. So, so rather than all the bits and pieces about my work, my job, my career, my house, and so forth, we come to the, the one word that sums it up. This is vitaka.
0: Hmm.
1: Combined with viveka. Viveka is that disengagement from the stories and what it takes to even disengage from the emotional currents and the counter currents they set up. That is, we get panicked. We get flustered, we get pressurized by what's arising in us. To how do I deal with this? So the very nature of what arises also brings along other currents of how do I deal with it? Can I manage it? Yeah. There's not just the the problems themselves, but the emotional sense of can I manage it? It's too much. So that's another current on top of it, isn't there? And there can be, along with that, the feeling of I'm not adequate to manage it. So another layer gets put on top of it. My inadequacy. Yeah. And then another layer, my despair. And then whatever, you know. See, so you just go to what's the, over, what's the outside, what's the, not what's the deep inside, but what's the outside of all this. You've got to start from the outside. It's not like peeling an onion. And you just take the first thin skin off. You just deal with the first brown husk around it, which could be something like I'm so fed up with being me again. <laughs> just that same old story for thirty five years of being me, you know. Oh, what does that feel like? You know. Tired, had enough. So me bring that in. Meet that with awareness, realize it's not a me, it's not a self, it's not a 35 years, it's now there is this particular emotional current which we receive, we meet it directly as it is, feeling, the, feeling that in the body, of the mind of goodwill, of sympathy, You stop feeding the current, stop feeding the defeat. And it begins to, if you don't feed it, it begins to fade out. This feeding is something like you know, you don't consciously feed it, but it's rather like having a tapeworm, it feeds on you. But we do allow that to happen. We have all these parasites. So we stop feeding them and they will let go. We feed them through through not being able to or not having the resources to bring awareness to bear upon them. So what is needed to that to do that, we so say there's this quality of direct awareness, but awareness is carried through skillful attention. The difference between attention and awareness. Attention is a conditioned uh, ability to focus. Say so pay attention. You can do it. You don't really do awareness, it's just innate. You're always aware. But you do attention, you pay attention. You bring your attention on to this. You bring your attention to that. You bring a kindly attention you bring a resolved attention, you bring a patient attention. So it's conditioned, and as you understand that it is conditioned, you don't take it lightly or for granted. You say, how am I attending? How do I pay attention? Do I listen with a sympathetic ear? Or do I see things with a fault-finding eye? Do I regard myself in a begrudging way, or in a compassionate way? So, because attention is conditioned, this means it's it's always conditioned, and you've got to recognise how it's conditioned now. And you can also recognise you can change the the conditioning can change that conditioning sometimes attention is taken not understood it's it's almost a hypnotised attention because a lot of the time our attention is is grabbed you know, sights, sounds grab it, exciting colourful, promising provocative, disgusting our attention is grabbed and there's an industry or a culture of attention grabbing media, everything that wants to get into you grabs attention and as there's more and more stuff to attend to, then the next lot of attention grabbers get louder to get over the previous ones, <laughs> louder, brighter, more promising more disgusting than the last one to really get you and as you can't get used to that, then they've got to ramp it up a bit more. Think you think this was bad? Look at this one. You think this was exciting? Look at this. You know, so it goes on. So your attention eventually is like a sort of punch drunk, with being stabbed, <laughs> grabbed, <laughs> pummeled, dragged. <laughs> you know, and no, no wonder you know when you try to meditate, your attention is kind of numb, really. So it's it's uh, it's, a, it's still attention but it's extremely um can be numbed it can be uh, it's not flexible, it's not fluid, it's not light it's not flexible you know, it's just kind of uh, you know and naturally for many people trying to attend to something like the breath which is not really high impact <laughs> not wow not exciting, not lurid not disgusting, not powerful, not you know You know, mind futters out, can't do it. So the sense of attention has to be fed, nourished, educated, trained, exercised. Terms of intention, that's the, the, the directives that we give to it, the moral, ethical and even sympathetic qualities we bring into our attention. Attention also has to be made light and flexible not just stuck not just rigidly fixated on something but able to flex from a small point to a large point. As I've said this ability of Viveka to if you like almost zoom up zoom out from the uh, you know to get the big picture whereas our attention might normally be grabbed by the awful or the horrifying detail or the painful bit or the delightful bit. And we don't zoom up and see, well yeah, but it comes and goes and you know. So this zooming out of attention, you know, is one of the features of wisdom. It's ability to flex attention. Enables wisdom to come around. You see, start to see things like, uh, okay, this is exciting, but what will it be like in three years' time? Yeah. Where does it go? So what? You know. Uh, so it, it enables you to come out of the, the hooks and the barbs of uh, that which is kind of thrust into you through the sensory, or particularly the commercial world you able to lengthen the span widen the focus of your attention this is how wisdom occurs beings human beings in general get conditioned into having short span attention short span attention the immediate hit and uh, you know what is it the average person attention span couple of seconds maybe you know, because bang, watching television bop, 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 bop no image on a television screen lasts five seconds something, you know, it's it's moving and then the next thing, and the next thing and the next thing so what does that do to your attention span? you have these things called attention disorder when people actually can't pay attention because the attention doesn't rest anywhere for more than half a second it's just jumping, you know so where does that come from how does that happen when you look around you see how it's happening so in our practice we are usually how can we lengthen the attention span so you're not just getting the hit which gives you the immediate reactive effect but you're widening to get the overall process of what that sight, sound, thought, touch, idea does to you And this is how you get wise. It's called skillful attention. You only saw a kind of deep attention, attention that sees the process in something rather than just the immediate flash hit of it. You see the arising, the passing, the consequences of that. You feel out the hedonic or the moral or the ethical qualities in that what it does to you what it's conditioning into what's happening for you so this is an ongoing cultivation that is you might say it's the foundation for meditation and you know beauty of it is that you don't really need a hall or sitting posture to do that in you just pay attention in your life and you start to see certain things certain areas you don't want to pay attention to because it's not going anywhere useful so you begin to uh, filter to channel your attention to that which is going to be purposeful and you know you can do that you know there are things areas topics concerns interests that you can direct your attention to that will give you steadiness calm uplift solace so forth and there are areas that will do exactly the opposite so you say this is skillful attention learning how to use attention skillfully you know what do you want to attend to and it's like daily life thing isn't
0: it
1: you know on the retreat we're saying okay we're putting the newspapers da 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 the internet books away just to notice what how when we put a, uh, some filtering on our attention, this is just almost standard for any retreat. Why is that? Because this is the absolute requirement for meditation as a foundation. If you do, if that's all you did. <laughs> you know, if you just stop doing, you know, letting your attention be grabbed by things and deliberately considered and thought and reflected and noted that which is conducive and supportive, this itself would be an adequate and fulfilling experience. We'd see there are themes and areas in life we attend to and that which we don't need to attend to or don't bother with. Yeah. And what's that? Now, it's not up for me to say, and the Buddha himself said, you attend to things which cause skillful states to arise and you don't attend to things that don't cause skillful states to arise. And you fill in the details. <laughs> you have to know for yourself it, You know, there's a range in there isn't there mm. but basically what causes greed, hatred and delusion to proliferate what causes it to dwindle mm. yeah. why is the attending to one's breathing why is the attending to one's heart so what I'm saying is that this uh, awareness has to be carried by something and it's carried through the process of attention we pay attention and we know how to pay attention yeah. and that also there's a subtlety in that how to pay a, a attention that's kind of soft right? not intense now again, you know, retreat, intense practice I don't know about that intense stuff life seems intense enough already maybe just looking at that like how can we just a kind of slight maybe a softer focus could be helpful what well, i've certainly found in my own practice in the last decade or so just having a wider field of attention rather than microscopic focus something that's a little more wider um, helps to there's an energy that goes along with attention Now, if you notice, and it's not, it's, it's, you've got to fi- see when it's skillful and when it's not skillful. That the narrower your attention is, the more intense that focus is; the more intense the energy is with it. Mm-hmm. The wider it is, the less intense it is. Now, intensity isn't by itself good or bad, but know it—that's what it is. So, if things feel too intense widen your focus yeah. walking sense of just walking through space if things in your own heart and mind are just feeling too much, too present too on top of you walking, widening your focus feeling your body moving along through, this, through the space as you're walking along you know, and letting things just steam off mm. steaming off letting things the, the heat steam off mm. this is uh, You know, it's a little bit of very pragmatic, earthy, sane wisdom how to get on in a retreat when things can get pretty intense times. It's certainly not the case that intensity is the answer, or intense focus is the answer. There are times when that's suitable, there are times when you just want to be widened. And I would generally err towards the times towards taking your time with things, giving it more space. Don't be in a hurry. Find your own time. Don't be pressurized into getting things sorted out and finding answers. Don't have your attention something that's still got that softness, that openness. And that softness and openness, we're also able then to begin to pick up other influences. Say, you know gratitude for example when you're really intensely focused on your object you, sometimes you miss out on larger field effects that are supportive the companionship of others the mutuality of our predicament the mutuality of our support suddenly you, know, you widen your attention you begin to pick up those nuances suddenly you find you've got a lot more resources you've got a little more sense of support and strength and encouragement to persevere this is pragmatic yeah, and this is really you as know, we come into the mainstream of the retreat it's pragmatism how you're going to row your boat for the next few days that's the important thing how you're going to do it how you're going to keep keep going and make it furthering and enriching Now, one of the main themes of the whole uh, strengthening, perhaps strengthening is a little bit of a heavy word, but enriching, uh, resourcing of our mind, of our ability to attend, of the intentions, the intentional qualities that we have, is through the cultivation of what's called parami. This is a nice little list of, uh, of, uh, you'd say intentions and practices of dynamics of sankharas. I'll get back to that word again later on. But it's essentially things that we do. And uh, attention and intention. These are these are sankharas. They're things that we do, or things that are done. They're dynamics. And dynamics need steering and guiding and because they're dynamic they're not fixed they're not static you keep them going and you, keep, you can keep enriching and enhancing them they're of the nature uh, they're, like, they're, they're like organisms you know they're, they're, they're uh, intrinsically processes they're feedable they're sustainable they're that which can develop they're not locked they're not frozen they're not static yeah? and the way we want to keep them going and uh, the parami are ways, fairly simple obvious ways to keep the dhamma process, the dynamics going, to keep strengthening them and they're also things that we can do most all the time first of them is, is generosity we can be generous everybody knows what that means Hopefully we all recognize it's a good thing, it's a beautiful thing. When someone is generous to us, we enjoy it. Uh, it, We enjoy it. Why do we enjoy it? That's interesting, isn't it? We like to do it. Hmm. We enjoy it. It's good and we enjoy it. It's not, oh goodness, another bit of generosity I've got to do. It's not generosity. Generosity is this welling up. We enjoy it because there's a feeling of the generosity enriches us. I can bestow, and it touches we feel we can touch another person with that in a beautiful, non-demanding way, and that inc- increases our sense of mutuality. and true mutuality is enriching. You feel you're part of something bigger. you know it's all these words're all rather clumsy. But you're part of something bigger, you're enriched by the presence of others. And by your bonding, your relationships with others are then a blessing to you. And dana, generosity, is maybe the first step of that. It's interesting that uh, when, you know, that's with a newcomer or someone says, What's what's Buddhism? What's What's Buddhism? What's the beginner's Buddhism? People say, Oh, Four Noble Truths. Nibbana. Um, yeah. mm. Not self. Um, there's no self at all. Uh, no God. Mm. Existence is miserable. <laughs> no self, no God. Existence is miserable. And people like this thing. <laughs> I want to do it. You know, and it's all impermanent and suffering. As well, this is Buddhism. <laughs> Buddha didn't teach that. He said to to uh, very often he'd 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 roll out a kind of a sequence of teachings called the uh, uh, graduated teachings. So, the first thing is generosity. In other words, putting something there that, that you know already. <laughs> you know already. And that's a lot of the Dhamma is like that. I keep saying, I'm, I'm just reminding you. I'm not teaching you anything. I'm just reminding you of things that you know, perhaps have been able to verbalize. Or you know have kind of slipped out of focus. I'm reminding you of what you know. And the Buddha did that. He's saying, I'm reminding you generosity. You know that. Think, oh yeah, of course. But then you're caused to linger with that. Stay with it. This is a vitaka, picked it up, take it in. Yeah, what's that? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty easy to do. I can give a bird some breadcrumbs, you know. <laughs> it's no big dinner. I feel good. People go down in the pond and throw bread at the ducks, don't they? Ducks aren't virtuous, moral, kind, compassionate. Anything you just like feeding the ducks <laughs> because it's innocent, it's free. It's a little bit of something, putting the benefit from that. We like that gesture not difficult so Buddhism begins with feeding the ducks (laughs) so next time somebody asks you tell them that forget this (laughs) miserable existence and not self stuff (laughs) why does it have to begin there because it it takes us into the heart and Buddhism or teaching of Dhamma has to begin in the heart to find your heart Yeah. I think this is really important because there's a very wonderful language structures that have evolved of people that attempt to articulate these many, many features and aspects and faculties and so forth that arise. Wonderfully articulated, literate teachings. The problem is, when you look at it, you think, oh, it's all up in your head. Buddhism is really heady. Metaphysics, philosophy, complex ideas, because of the people's ability to articulate something that's actually arising in the heart so when you describe it of course you get these long language streams and I'm as guilty as anybody else in doing this Um, but really it begins in the heart and the generosity is the quality of the heart opening to mutuality and to our ability to be in a mutuality in an enriching way. I enrich myself you know, by by that action. And generosity, dana, the Buddha said it's impossible, it cannot be. You can't even get into deep jhana, absorption without generosity, and let alone any degree of awakening. It can't happen. It's that important. It's not like, well, pay up so you can get in your, your jhanas going. <laughs> how, how much is a jhana worth? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's making it all very material, materialistic. Dhana means this sense of the heart. It could be, and there's material things, service, yeah, and of course, teaching, offering. And I don't just mean verbalizing teaching. I mean anything that brings the dhamma to another person anything that reminds another person of kindness, of virtue, that's a Dhammadhana. And the Buddha said, this is the highest dhana. This is the highest generosity because what you put there is something that's going to, you know, going to have a long-term effects. And as I was saying, you know, my physics teacher who came one day and was fed up with teaching physics and taught us pranayama, is a bit of Dhammadhana, you know, that, tur- that got something going. Yeah. I might not have been a monk if it hadn't been for that. <laughs> so this, and there's something we can do every day, a little bit, of, of just bringing forth something for ourselves for the welfare of others. So it's not, you know, how much do you pay? It's, is your heart open and able to... to Experience that flow, that sense of mutuality, that sense of a giving flow. Because a heart that's constricted and completely lost in me, mine, is not going to get anywhere. Dana Sila, morality, very important. Ethical understanding, ethical sensitivity, the two qualities here to recollect whatever, you know, we've been through various precepts and so forth, just to just talk about the basic principle is hiri otapa, hiri means the sense of something the sensitivity to am I acting in a way that is really worthy of me am I acting in a way that's actually cheapening or do I am acting in a way that I feel is really worthy of me that's that sensitivity. Otapa hmm. means, am i am acting in a way that is respecting others? the Respectful of others. And a real feeling of concern and uh, danger, and maybe even shock if I'm not. Like, you know, I said something pretty stupid then and it's not just going into a blame thing it's just recognising how this mind thing can just wobble and we we act in ways that have negative effects for ourselves and for others sila so with this sensitivity you're actually consciously recollecting speech, action and intentionality because sila Morality or ethics can be seen as two aspects, look at it very broadly, there's convention and intention. Convention means the outward forms of behaviour, you know, drinking, lying, so forth, you know, certain things you do's and don'ts of behaviour. Intention is to do with the inner wellspring of impulse.
0: Hmm?
1: So in te- we can le- we can write a list of conventions. Five precepts, eight precepts, ten precepts, hundred precepts, rules, laws, and so forth—you can have all that, and yeah, that's useful because without that, we don't have something to measure ourselves against. We don't have something that checks us that says, "Hey, you know," it says here, "no, no lying." Okay, and well, did you still tell the absolute truth there? It's something to check yourself against. But of course, the most important thing is intention, because intention is the dynamic. Say convention is the static, the structure. Intention is the dynamic. What's what's coming up? Because this is where karma is established. Karma is established through intention. And intention doesn't mean deliberately thought-out idea. It means it refers to this welling up of impulse that we're conscious of. We feel this impulse of aversion, we're conscious of that and then we let it happen. And D, we maybe feel a sense of irritation that dug into me and then that's the point at which is that going to translate into an aggressive or violent or reactive impulse or can I get right there, check it aware of that, so sila then becomes a meditation practice and it's very important because I said the principle of karma karma, somebody's asking me about this karma is action, the word means to act, to action so it's the action of our intentions
0: it's
1: this rising up of this impulse and we know what it is you know it's that, something you recognize is that and you, you act upon it you grab it, you act upon it you say the thing you think the thing you physically do the thing mm. naturally we all experience irritation, distress negativity it's welling up but the, re- the karmic bit is when that forms, you know it's that and you go for it you, know, you, you crystallize you, you constellate around that so a lot of our practice is just recognize this welling up of craving, greed, covetous, lust, aversion. You know, these are strong words, but perhaps diluted versions of those recognizing it. and Okay, we're just widening, softening, releasing that, you know, looking into that, checking it. You know, there's a whole process there that is reflective, insightful. And really, you know, in a way, one way of looking at meditation is is a deep, deep exploration of karma. A deep exploration of the meaning of karma and sila. That what's arising in our mind patterns our life as we. the impulses that we go for, that we enact, that we consciously recognize and and constellate around, those will certainly mold our life. They're going to affect other people. They will establish how we sense ourselves as being. We are formed by our karma. We are formed by the karma that that is acted upon. It becomes us. And it's not all bad, of course. There's good and bad mixed. So you're recognizing this continual creative potential of karmic impulses arising. And which ones are you going to go for? You know, first thing is well you just start to go for the good ones and if you get more skillful at it you can begin to another level let go of all of them but that takes quite a bit of doing so most of our dharma practice or a lot of our dharma practice is just going for the good ones the honesty the patience the persistence uh, the generosity you know, the good karma and it acts as a foundation because it makes attention strong. It means your att- attention goes one way. It doesn't just scurry around to whatever's going to grab it externally, it's directed internally to it seeks the skillful, it seeks the benevolent, it seeks the, you know, however you define skillful, the patient, the generous, the loving, so forth. It, it's attuned to that, and it goes that way. Another thing, I'm going that way. I'm going that way. So this is the way, primary way in which we strengthen and enrich our attention faculty through cultivating skillful intention. Remember, with skillful intention, you're just training yourself to think, you know, and, and to to contemplate thoughts, the little grumbling, niggling ones, you know. Mm-hmm. You don't want to keep going with this one. what does it mean what's happening what's what's the correct how do I respond to that? How do I turn that one around? How do I examine that? And this is a deep reflective process so the more that we really bring seela bring ethical bring karmic tendencies to mind and bear them in mind or are mindful of that then And you can do it walking, standing, talking, being with people. You can still develop that. You can still cultivate that. So it's an ongoing thing. dana sila. Mm -hmm. Ongoing cultivation that will always stand you in good stead. It's never going to go wrong. It's reliable. Not by the end of the story, by any means. But you're never going to do yourself any harm by developing those. Nikama, renunciation, the ability to simplify, to say no thanks. So, actually, what's to differentiate between needs and wants? So, it's a simple way of looking at renunciation to differentiate between needs and wants. Uh, And they kind of seem similar. Sometimes they say the same thing I need. I need a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> but actually needs are deeper than that. They say I need nourishment. That's true. So, you know, needs are much more general and simple. Wants are always more specific and and uh uh changeable like nourishment is a constant continual ongoing need peanut butter sandwiches after the first three or four enough you know (laughs) (laughs) so that's a want isn't it and it's got this kind of quality of excitement you know hit whereas nourishment is just a much uh, needing is much more uh, primary fundamental it's not even exciting So you start to differentiate between that, and this means starting to shift your attention and your value system from. And I'm sure you you know you know this, but just to remind again, from the that which is exciting to that which is not very exciting. Yeah, but it's necessary. And then the more you, but then you start to value it because it's deepening, calming, and steadying your life and this, is a, this bit is a kind of a, a difficult threshold for people to, to cross Not many, you know, many people don't cross this one because it seems a bit kind of bland and austere and you know we're trying to prove something or the other but it is a, it's a valuable one so renunciation is being able to go into the supermarket and just buy what you need <laughs> rather than what's on offer Special offer this week only get buy three and get two thrown in for free. we didn't want one in the first place. <laughs> and have a new doodad to stink on your car or your dog or your hair or something or the other. Do you really need this? but it's kind of like interesting, gimmicky fun, so we'll go for it. you know I think is it wrong? it's not wrong it's not bad it's just. You know, it's just clutter. It's just taking us away from the, the deepening process. So, and this is where you find your own way with this, but just also sensing with renunciation is a certain dignity that it, that it grants us. Like, yeah, you know, I'm okay without that. I, yeah, I've got enough. I'm okay. And to say enough, that's enough. It's again a rather rare expression in the human realm. That's enough, thanks. I could have more, but that's enough. Cultivating it. Learning to put things aside. Not out of aversion, but just to have that feeling of simplicity, the contentment of simplicity. Again, you know, we can say it's not always so easy but you look at little ways in which as i say you know going to the supermarket see a special offer really must fit this it's only gonna last for one week so I'll save me 50 quid if i spend 50 quid i'll save 50 quid how's that <laughs> you know and you get in the heat of all that and everybody else is buying one and it's a rush on just say look just step outside the supermarket for five minutes and stand on the pavement and let yourself cool down and think do you really need it then, if you really need it, go back in again.
0: You know,
1: it gives you that chance to take a break from it. Mm. Another very powerful uh, uh, parami, panya, um, wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to discern one thing from another so everything has wisdom consciousness has wisdom because you're able to distinguish night from day black from white sweet from sour heavy from light you know it's that sense of this is this and this is that you can hold the two together and you can sense a difference that is the that's the basic bit of wisdom it helps to stop the blur effect so you develop wisdom And the very word wisdom in English sounds a little bit academic, but you might say, uh, you know, you see a craftsman or a craftswoman, her fingers are wise. She knows about weaving. He's a silversmith. He's got wise fingers. You try and do it in your kind of clumsy mitts. Their fingers are wise because they know that they really know their topic. Their fingers know the wood, they know the wall, they know the silver, they know the tools their fingers are agile, skillful they can discriminate between the right kinds of pressure the exact place to go what their material is capable of what their tools are capable of how to do it they've got wise hands so that's one example of wisdom it's not academic Mm. Uh, an acrobat has, has a wise body they know how to balance they know how to flex they know how to bring forth effort so a meditator has wisdom in this way. They're not just academically wise, they're pragmatically wise. They know when's the time to, to exert themselves, when's the time to rest back, when's the time to onlook with equanimity, when's the time to examine something closely, when's the time to just look the other way, when's the time to say, this is too much for me, I'm backing off. <laughs> That's wisdom. They're, they're, they know their craft. They know the craft of the heart. They you know when it's time to say enough is enough. I'm backing off. You know, all this is wisdom strategies. Yeah, you know? and so anything that you, you use like that, uh, tying knots, you know, <laughs> gardening, you can bring wisdom into it. Yeah, you know? and everything is something to teach you. It's a very, I think it's a very exciting topic actually, because you can learn something and mostly what you learn is nothing goes the way that I immediately want it to do <laughs> I've got to listen to it explore what it is about and work with it you know? so if you, you, know, you get a piece of wood or a piece of clay and think I'm going to make a pot I idea pot or vase or something try and bang it out it's not going to happen you've got to know the wood you've got to feel it You've got to handle the clay. You've got to know what pressures it can take. You've got to know the tools. It's not going to just come out of, I want. It's going to be this way. You try growing some vegetables. You've got to know, you know, you can't just say, here's a seed, stick it in the ground. Grow, get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> you've got to know how to fence it off, how to protect it, how to water it. You know, you've got to know what it's about. It's not going to follow purely one's own will. So similarly with the mind, you can't say, okay mind, shit, sit down and shut up, be quiet. Okay body, sit there and be painless. You're not going to do it. You're going to know what the, what the material is about. How to handle the body. How to handle the mind. How to handle the heart. And it's a craft. You know your material, you know your tools. You know which tools to use. So just getting a handle on what wisdom is about. Pragmatic, practical wisdom getting a handle on it
0: you, know, you,
1: know, and you look at any kind of craft and you realise this too is a craft of meditation and you've got to spend time studying, looking at it so wise attention deep attention just brings this attitude to bear when we wisely attend to something that we don't immediately think we've got the answer, we look at it contemplate it Mm, this looks tough what's this about Yeah, where's it coming from mm. what's his ethical quality yeah. what's it feel like how do I relate to that you know, we, we scope it out you don't just plunge in there so you're wisely attending to breathing in and out yeah, it's not just switch it on you know, it should be simple, in, out, in, out, in, out, that's it, just stay with that. But that's that's not wise attention. Wise attention is discerning, how does a body breathe? What happens in the belly, in the chest, the diaphragm, the throat? How does the structuring, how does the sitting of the body affect the breathing? How does my attitude of mind affect the breathing? If I approach it with a grasping mind or a spacious mind... Yeah. with the wish to learn rather than the wish to dominate or control or make it work mm. how do my attitudes affect my breathing Noticing, you notice simple things like well, if I just lift my back a bit suddenly the breath becomes deeper and stronger if I focus in this place I feel it more fully if I lengthen the breath it calms me down if I lengthen the pause in between the breath it calms me and steadies me Strengthens the breath flow You know, if I breathe in st- if I let the breath come in slowly and steadily my mind becomes steady and slower it calms me down so you learn, your, you learn your topic you study it you're open to it and then you begin to learn how to handle it but first of all you have to really be a disciple to that which means just sitting at it looking at it for a while listening to it checking it out before you can become a master. This is why you know, it's very simple, but we all know meditation takes you know years. It's here and now, and yet you try and get here and now. It takes years to get here and now. <laughs> and virya, effort, application, the ability to apply ourselves, the willingness to apply ourselves, and knowing how much effort is needed, when is it a strain, and when is it that willing, joyful effort, which is the, the cream of effort, is the joyful effort, the giving effort. If you've cultivated dhana, sila, there's a good sense in which your efforts will have that same quality to it, the heartful effort, rather than the willful effort. Patience, and other parami, absolutely essential, great one, because everything in life, surely, a lot of it is about being patient with it all. Being patient with oneself, being patient with one's energies going sluggish and dull, over, hyper, being patient, patiently bearing through a retreat, being patiently with your sickness and your illness as it goes on. Being patient with other people's fumbling mistakes, being patient with the weather, being patient in the traffic jam you know being patient because nothing happens as quickly as immediately as our desire wants it to I want it now
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: but patient that kind of mind is weak it's got no strength in it the, the patient mind has got this deep sense of staying with bearing with bearing with and this quality patience it was basically it was the fundamental teaching almost, you could almost say it was one of the only teachings at Ajahn Charles monastery was just be patient because it was hot, too hot so you had to be patient with sweat and heat and dullness and your mind was grumbling and moaning so you had to be patient with that patient with things that broke down and didn't work patient with that you know, trying to sweep a path with a broom with only two prongs on it patient with
0: that <laughs>
1: <laughs> patiently waiting for everybody else to turn up to go to the group meeting patient with that patiently listening to a dumber talk that you would heard already was going for three hours Where your <laughs> knees her. patient with that and basically the basic talk will be about being patient <laughs> and when you get to the end of your tether you say just a little more patience is what's needed
0: you know it's so that's,
1: that's tremendously strengthening because it means that we we start to mature the mind from the you know and all of us as adults have grown more patient than when we were toddlers when we screamed and wailed if we couldn't get what we want now we can be patient with it that's maturation and the development of Barami, the better meditation is really just the enhancing of what we're developing already. By being mature adults and you're just making it bigger and stronger, more full-on. Yeah. You know, so being patient with the retreat, the time it takes, the non-results, the slowness of it, the struggling of it, saying, "Okay, it's struggling so," but I am being patient. And then you suddenly ah, that's another way of looking at it. Yeah, and suddenly you touch into some a sense of value and enrichment through that you know I want the ecstasy I don't want to be doing the washing up but actually washing up is better for patients than ecstasy (laughs) do a lot of it Uh, other parami running out of time here but uh, commitment and itana, ability to make a commitment, stay with something, even when it goes, makes it difficult, and it, you know. So after the wedding comes the marriage. After romance comes the long haul, which commitment is necessary to go through. Otherwise, you, you don't learn because the first time it goes, you get to the tough patch, you jump ship. But commitment is a sense of. And it comes, it becomes more apparent when you begin to realize processes are bound to go through their rough patches and their smooth patches and their rough patches, and their smooth patches. And I can't bear it patches and it's lovely patches. And the commitments just go through all of it. And then you become less mesmerized by the ups and downs and more focused on the strengthening, the patience, the commitment, Aditana. You can do small commitments. You can say, okay, I commit for this week Eight precepts, yeah. Uncomfortable, don't see the point of it. But commitment. Just because I you know, it strengthens me. Doesn't weaken me. Yeah. Commit to say for you know, for this day I'm not gonna read anything. Once a week switch my mobile phone off. For an hour (laughs) or an afternoon or a day, you know. So you can make these small aditanas but every time you make one, you're still ref- reflecting, remembering that quality that you have say. You have to say, yeah. You can switch the thing off. You have to say. You can also commit to I will sit for one- once a day, like it or not. You know, and you can make those commitments. And there's a, there's a sense in which you you undertake ownership of of what you're going to be attending to, what your life's going to be about. Uh, let's not forget loving-kindness. The Wonderful qualities of, of uh, all-embracing loving-kindness. You know, not allowing the mind to move into ill-will. And here, perhaps, it's important to remember, it's not just the magnificent beauty of the loving act the act of true good will but the long term low grade sense of not allowing the mind to go into ill will no matter what and that's, the, that's the real test certain beings loving kindness you feel them you immediately get a sense of loving kindness and and respect and admiration for you know not difficult but to have that constant ongoing sense of with that mean, grumpy person next door, <laughs> I'll experience compassion. You know, not let the mind go into that. Yeah. So, as the Buddha said, a uh, famous parable if uh, bandits catch you at the crossroads and tie you down and saw your legs off with a double handed saw, and your mind moves into aversion, you know, I don't see you as a true disciple. <laughs> So put that one in there. Are they sawing your legs off? <laughs> if they're not sawing your legs off, it's going to be a cinch. It's going to be easy. <laughs> because if they are sawing your legs off, getting uptight about it's not really going to help, is it? <laughs> it just makes it worse. <laughs> it's only a parable. <laughs> Of course, let's not forget honesty, satya, parami. And honesty, truthfulness means the ability to both speak the truth and to see things truly as they are. Speaking the truth is something we have some, it's a convention, it's also an act of intention, sometimes it's easier to fudge things a bit, but to be able to say the difficult thing, you know, just to be honest, not to be aggressive, not to prove anything, not to demand anything, but just to say it's like this now. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it is. truthfulness. And then the more you are able to tune into truthfulness, the more you begin to perceive things as they really are.
0: Yeah.
1: You begin to perceive things as they really are. Because your mind is keen... Both on manifesting truthfulness, therefore it's keen on perceiving things as they are, not on things as you'd like to see them, or you don't like to see them but actually as they are. so that tuning into the flavor of offering truth means you get much more clear at receiving things accurately because you're you're tuning into that that truthful about yourself really truthful doesn't mean, okay, this is going to be get the dirt out no, actually, if you're really truthful you say, well, you know you do a lot of of good things there's a lot of bad things you could do, you didn't do I like to reflect on that get to the end of the day and think, I could have done a lot of damage today and I didn't chalk it up, good day true and uh, equanimity is uh, top barami it's the perfection of it perhaps the most remote in some ways the ability to experience all the flood of feeling with even attention to experience the whole flood of the felt realm, feeling it, aware of it, equal attention, unwavering, not moving into ill will, not moving into excitement, not moving into despair, not moving into jubilation, just the whole flood of the felt field, with its horrors, joys, tragedies, mistakes, blessings, just this, this is the felt realm. it's this way. Hmm. How do you develop equanimity? Well, perhaps the easiest way is to be patient patient and wise if you're patient and wise, you stay with something, commit to it, which is which is the commitment is the parame that doubles the strength of everything else because it means you persevere with it. Hmm. so persevering with patience, you begin to. See, you know, here I am bad, here I am good, here I am aspiring, here I am giving up. And you go through all these different currents and waves to eventually it's just, it's this, it's this. And when it's this, your energy is no longer invested in these particular changing forms, but into holding the space, you might say, holding the realm of feeling with even attention. What we do, of course, we do, or we incline towards doing the good, the true, and the beautiful, but we're able to receive the whole lot and not get reactive and rattled about it. So, this again is uh, to do with understanding karma, cause and effect. Karma is the causes the origins the impulses and what's called vipaka is the results so here I am I've inherited certain skillful results certain unskillful results I have an inheritance that's mingled and mixed it's like this this is about as good as I can be now because of karma vipaka this is my inheritance there's the good the true the beautiful the confused the adult the misguided you know so this is it. That's equanimity. It can't be other than this. Now. It's acceptance, isn't it? And in a way, although this kind of sounds like a very far out parami, really, you know, every time you come into meditation, you've got to, re- you've got to come back to this. This is about, this is as good as it can be now this is this is as good as you can be now right now, the next moment of course you, there's the doors open, you know, but now is this there's nothing wrong with it yeah it's like so you stop recycling now, if you keep finding fault with that which is blameworthy, indeed it is not good, not skillful, but if you keep finding fault with it, what you're doing is you're taking old karma or, or results or Parker and you're making fresh business out of them. Yeah? You take the old stuff, you get into it, you remember it, you bring it over, you mull it over, you churn it out and you're making some new stuff out of it. You're reheating the old goulash <laughs> instead of chucking it out the door getting some new stuff. <laughs> so, you know, nobody's Squeaky clean, nobody's table is clean. Yeah. So, this is, a, this is it now. So, you, you, know, you don't want to keep. with equanimity enables you to have that acceptance, which is not indifference, not an irresponsibility, but it's this now. So, stop rehashing it and making a self out of it, making a fixed person out of it. If you do this is the karmic mistake. You know, the big mistake of karma is we make a self out of what are impulses, feelings, perceptions, moods, we make somebody out of them. And that's, that's, the, that's the ignorance bit that keeps the whole karma-we-parka cycle going. Yeah. So karma is the good-bad, but the ending of karma, which is liberation, means you don't make a self out of cause and effect. Okay, that's a nice little pat phrase, isn't it? (laughs) But what it comes down to is equanimity. It's this now. It's this now. Have to hold that. Hold that. Now this is where awareness is really held in purity, because it's not wavering into regret, into hope, into (laughs) despair. Into should be into got to make it work. It's this now, and that quality of equanimous awareness is what uh, begins to dismantle or deconstruct the complexity of our formulations of what formulates me. You know, of this patterning of these programs, it begins to deconstruct them by not energetically or emotionally feeding them. It's this now. What is it? It's this now. It's just this. And of course, the next moment, those flavors and colors may change, but it's still this. And one who sees things as this, just this, is always just this. <laughs> and this is why the Buddha is called Tathagata. The Tāgata means someone who sees it as just this. Tata means this or such. So someone who truly sees it as this does not conceive of a self in it, does not conceive of a self other than it, does not conceive of a self who should be it, does not conceive of a self who was it, does not conceive of a self as in it, apart from it, belonging to it. it. Just does not conceive just says it's this, and other than this, there's nothing more sublime hmm. so as we you know as you come to looking at this very large topic, resourcing strengthening, reflect a little on these barame, pick up one or two, look at them look at the if you if you put them up there on your little list your checklist somewhere you know. So you've really got mindfulnesses in there. Um, metta's probably in there somewhere, you know, a little dharmic list. But give a space on the on your dharmic notice board for the ten parami, because you can practice them all the time and never let you down. And then you can do them in very humble, modest ways every day. And that's going to be your long-term strengthening and resource. Yeah. If you couldn't do it, the Buddha wouldn't have taught it. It didn't do any good, it wouldn't have taught it because you can do it, and it does you good. <laughs> it's presented as an offering
0: yeah.
1: anyone anyway. so. So now is the time um, for you to do as you see fit. Thank you.